Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you're doing well with the hangover. We're not. That's why we pre-recorded this podcast. But January 1st is the time of the year where we make resolutions. And many of you probably want to make it the year where your business takes off. So to help you with this, we have two things for you today. First, we are discounting our flagship course on starting new authority sites until January 8th, midnight. So you can go on authorityhacker.com slash system to learn more about the promo. This course is a brand new course we only recorded a few weeks ago, actually, where you see us build a brand new site from scratch over the shoulder in over 120 videos. So I'll remind you of the URL, authorityhacker.com slash system. And the second thing, for those who want to start new sites this year, Mark and I, in today's episode, will talk about the tactics we will use for our new sites in 2019 and how things have changed in the last year. So if you want the most up-to-date tips and tricks to picking niches, planning your content, or building lists, stay tuned. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome back. Happy New Year. I hope you're really excited for 2019. Of course, I'm back with Mark today. How was your New Year's Eve, Mark? Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Well, we're completely lying here. We're recording this in December, guys. Let's not, we're not gonna lie to you, but it always makes me laugh when you're like watching TV and they just like pretend it's like it's been New Year already, but they recorded it two weeks before and so on. So I always dream to do that. So, guys, yeah, we're recording this in December, but we're already playing 2019. We're very much into the spirit of what 2019 is going to be. And that's what this podcast is all going to be about. We're going to first kind of recap. What is an authority site for anyone that is joining us on this podcast or has not listened to us before? And overall, I think we can change also about how our vision changed. I mean, for those who have followed us last year, you see that we have sites that did well, sites that didn't do so well, especially with all the Google updates and so on. And some of that has changed our vision on how we want to be building sites. And it's going to be a good occasion to talk about this. And following that, we're going to be talking about 11 things that we recommend you apply to your site building activities this year to be successful. And that's going to be very timely. That's going to be things that we learned last year. That's going to be things that haven't worked last year so that we're changing this year, etc. So if you have been following us, you will, I think, like this part. Um, so let's start with the first part that I mentioned, which is like a recap of the authority site model. So Mark, I'll let you start with that. We have this description written on our site, and it's been there, I think, since 2013. We didn't really put too much effort into the description back then, but it answers the question, what is an authority site? And this description, we may have an updated view of it, but it currently says, an authority site is a content-driven website that is a respected and trusted source of information. It is a larger site that delivers real value through its excellent editorial standards. This makes people trust the advice and recommendations from the site. Now, when back in 2014, I think it was, when we wrote this, we were living in a little bit of a different era. The micro niche site at the time was still sort of king and people, they didn't really care very much about quality of the site. It was all about having, you know, hundreds of small, super niche, super targeted, exact match domain websites. And there was yet yeah, the the big players in in some of the industries the big publishers were thousands of times bigger than these the, these sites and they just put so much more effort into quality and it was clear for us that in the long term quality was going to be a very important factor 
So although we didn't come up with the term authority site, in a large part, we certainly helped popularize it. I, I think a lot more people use that term these days. Essentially, you can interchange it with uh, the word affiliate. So like an affiliate site and authority site, very, very similar. Although even today, when someone describes the word authority site, it tends to mean something kind of higher quality and, and, and better. But essentially, we're talking about a content site here, which ranks in Google and possibly has traffic through other sources and makes money through affiliate marketing, through display ads, through maybe info products, ebooks, courses, these kinds of things. Maybe even physical products could happen too. Yeah, right? that's, that's also true. I think my vision changed for one thing. It's like when we really came up with this concept, you know, there's that notion of like a large, it's a larger site that delivers real values through excellent editorial. I disagree on the fact that it has to be a larger site these days. And I feel like probably the most profitable sites, they're still, so the scope doesn't have to be much larger than a niche site. I mean, once again, these are all terms that have very subjective visions to them. But it's like these days I wouldn't mind doing a what we call an authority site on a very narrow topic. And, and we've done that last year. It's been quite successful. But what matters is the level of input put into that. So like a niche site very much has this idea of like set and forget and like it all like the passive income thing, etc. Whereas I think an authority site is more like this is the place you can go to to get trusted information. So if you were having a discussion with someone in a bar talking about the topic, you would probably not recommend a shitty niche site to them. Like you wouldn't mind recommending a site that's very specialized in what they're doing and just has up to the information and is presented nicely, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, authority site now is is not as much about the how broad the site is as much as it is about the quality of the content and the way it's displayed and put together. I would also add to that about the the structure and the organization behind the website. So it's not just someone trying to make a, a, a couple hundred bucks a month so they can, I don't know, sit on a beach type thing. It's a real business. Most authority sites have scope to really grow and the, the teams around them can grow and they can really you know, reach a huge amount of people. I mean, we know people at sites uh, reaching millions of visitors every month, and you, you really can influence a lot of people when you, you you have a site of that size. We have a lot of friends like in the six figure per month realm, etc. Now, like this, you know, when we started, we didn't even know you could go that far, and it's like it's, it's really like yeah, it's really transforming into a real business. It can be big money business, or it can be small. It really is up to you. But you're going to have to make the strategical decisions. Like if you want something smaller that is less time-taking and not as competitive, you're going to have to start picking these smaller niches like I mentioned versus if you go into a big, broad consumer market, well, it can be big business. But as a result, because there's so much money, the competition is also fiercer. So it's, it's something that niche selection also needs to kind of like take into account what you want out of this business these days, you know? Yeah, I, I also something that else else that came to mind. So this is the downside of recording this three weeks before New Year. <laughs> but we're currently, and maybe we can just edit this out. We're currently in the process of selling the site. We currently just sold the site. Nah, we're not going to do that. Uh, maybe. So basically, <laughs> no, no, no. We're not going to edit it. I mean, but one of those two things will will be true on the first of January two thousand nineteen, um, and. What that kind of reminded me of was the idea of 
a sizable, meaningful exit. And I remember a long time ago, you used to compare it to starting the next Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook or something. In the tech world, the startup world, you have a very, very low chance of having a very, 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 very high, like billion dollar kind of output if you if you sell that, as was the case with, I think, Instagram when they sold to Facebook or YouTube when they sold to Google. So there's that. But with authority sites, you can have a, a good chance of having a very nice return by having a, a big exit. You know, many people in our community have sold sites for six figures, even low seven figures. That's within just a few years of, of starting it. And with a, a small team, nothing like overly special, just following the model, working hard and doing a good job basically you can you can achieve that and for for most people that's life-changing you know you can buy a a house you buy several houses with that so i think the the attainability of very meaningful amounts of money from authority sites is is a big big plus as well yeah i mean i think also if you compare to the startup world the number of people that have started like more than two successful startups that have sold for a lot of money is very low but the number of people who have started two successful websites and had two good exits is is actually higher, I would believe. So the exit is lower than like a super high-end tech startup and not many people are going to start an Instagram-sized company. But the, the because the chance of success is much higher, it kind of like evens out. And I think you can really be close enough to these like big startup starting guys from like a big authority site exits, surprisingly. So... Yeah, it's it's just like as we said, we're selling a site. We're selling it for like mid six figures if it goes through, and you know we're starting three new this year probably. So it's like we, you know, you keep rolling punches in this industry, and I'm, I have no doubt that we have have at least one or two that will be successful in the new batch of sites we're creating. And you can have exits that are close enough, as I said, to the big Silicon Valley exits or across your career. You know. So anything else you want to say about the authority site model? No, let's get into the the rest of it. All right, so now we're going to go through uh, 11 tips we have. And that is more about how we would approach things in 2019. So we're going to just go away from the historical model and think about the things that we talk about when we are planning the new sites that we're starting this year. As I mentioned, we're going to start a few. And the first one I'm going to mention is focusing on high-paying offers. So historically, we didn't really look at this too much. We would just pick any market that looked good on Ahrefs keyword research tool. And the offer was an afterthought. We would usually default for Amazon, etc. And if you're a newbie, it's still a good way to go. Like if you want to make a site that makes three to 10 grand a month, it's still, it's still viable. It can still work, etc. However, especially from the site that we're selling, like the offers, the payout per sell as an affiliate was much, much higher. And as a result, it was really much easier to go to uh, five figures a month, like under a year, like really quickly, without even trying very hard. It was just a, a side project and it worked really well. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't do Amazon. There's, there's niches on Amazon where you can make more than $10 per product sale. And I think that's probably the niches where I would look at even more. But overall, that, that's my experience. Like go for high paying offers, it's going to be easier to grow your revenue higher with about the same amount of effort. Do you want to say something about this one? Yeah, so for us, we are looking for high competition because it's indicative of good returns, right? And we're, I would say, decent, fairly decent at beating, matching 
the competition in many niches. If you're brand new to this and you've never built a site before, then don't do that, obviously. You want to set your bar a little bit lower, aim for, and just aim for job replacement income initially. I think what was so good about the, the site we just sold slash are in the process of selling was that it was very encouraging early on after just by making a few sales, like the first few sales come in, you already start getting to $100 in in like, I don't know, can't remember how many months, like three months after we started or something. And that is really good because at the start, for the usually for the first six months, nine months, 12 months, something like that, you're spending money, unless you're creating the content and doing all the work yourself, but you're spending money on hiring people, on outsourcing content, on outsourcing link building, these kinds of things. And it's a long feedback loop until you, you, you start getting a return from that. So it's just very, it feels very safe when you start getting a return quickly like that. And it's, it's quite meaningful. And it also, as you start to scale, it allows you to put more money into it faster. Like the, you earn back what you've invested very quickly and then you're more comfortable with growing your investment hiring a second writer or a third writer or like really really growing other areas of the business fast because you have that income so it just speeds up the whole process basically yeah i remember at the time we did a an atari hacker launch when the atari hacker pro i think launch just at the time when the site started making its first sales it was like a six-figure launch and we were still more excited about making like three figures from this new site, <laughs> I just like it, it was really exciting. It was just like I, I, we were seeing the potential, and it fulfilled the potential in time. So that was pretty cool. Okay, let's jump on to the next tip, which is pick of the beaten path niches. So it's like it, it makes me laugh because I'm thinking about the authority site system, right? So I we built a new site, a new site in this new version of the course that we just released, literally at the end of this year of last year. Last year, no. Yeah, I guess <laughs> struggling at the end of last year. And when we do a new version of this course, we build a whole site from scratch. So you see us build a whole site from A to Z. Literally, I don't know which niche we're going to go into when we start. And when we finish, the whole site is ready to rank, etc. And the funny thing is because now we're getting a decent amount of reach, any niche I pick, there's going to be people complaining. People will be like, oh, like, I'm in this niche, you're going you're gonna to destroy it, etc., etc., etc. And I actually make a conscious effort to pick very, very obvious niches for these sites. I can't really tell which niche it is. It's something that we keep for the course. Um, but I pick, I pick something really obvious just because it's really not rocket science. It's an issue you could come up with really, really easily. It still shows the process of picking and like comparing niches, etc. But I do that. When we start websites, we definitely try to avoid very big consumer niches. And that is the tip pick of, of the beaten path niches. And really my rule of thumb, so when, when I talk to our staff in terms of picking a niche, I'm like, okay, think about it. If you can go in the street, but stop a random person, tell them about the niche and they know about it, then it's probably a bad niche. It's probably not niche enough. It's probably not. And, and there's several reasons for that. First, Big publishers are slowly getting into major consumer niches for affiliate keywords. So bestproducts.com, Wirecutter, obviously, and several others are just going to write about the really big niches. So the competition is going to be higher. Second, people for really broad niches, there's probably a shop around where people live where they can buy items. 
So if you talk about items and people don't click on your links, but rather just go to the shop and buy it, you're not getting paid for it. Usually, when you pick these off the beaten path niches, it goes together with the advice that we talked about previously, which is high paying offers. Usually, high paying offers are more for very niche products. So it's like, you know, like some really special skin cream ointment or something that you can't really find in your average pharmacy or, you know, some kind of like bio makeup or whatever i'm just taking random niches that i would probably not pick but just to give you an idea the kind of stuff that would be really hard to to find in a shop and you would need to order it etc and that's the kind of stuff that that works really well so i know a lot of people like technology as well it's like a lot of people want to do niches that they like and so a lot of people just like their phone really. <laughs> or just like their computer or something like that. I think, I think like it's when, when someone's sitting at their computer trying to decide what niche yeah. to go into, they're just like looking around and usually you'll have a computer and a phone around you. So yeah. uh, this is it's like quite an interesting one as well because most people are making buying decisions about a phone every one to two years. So it's it's an interesting one personally but it sucks as a marketer to be in that in yeah. that space i would literally make like video game sites etc if i could that's i just enjoy it and i would do that but that would be a terrible terrible market decision and we would probably not make much money so i just play video games on my leisure time and i just go back to actually doing real work and making real money when we actually do work so a good part of the reason why that's the case is because a lot of people are are talking about video games for free just because they enjoy it. Yeah. It's like they're hugely passionate about it. And a lot of video game players are online, have websites, YouTube channels, Twitch streams, all that kind of stuff. And so there's just a lot of content out there already that people aren't trying to monetize and, and are just putting out because they're passionate about it. So it's it's tough to compete with you're coming in with a commercial angle. It's not just that. It's like gamers just don't have that much money. They play the same game forever and they just don't spend that much. They have different ad blockers. They're just a terrible market. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's like, it's just, I mean, no, it's not true. There's a couple keywords that could be good, like best gaming mouse, that kind of stuff, you know, like if you can rank for these kind of keywords, yeah, you can make Mm -hmm. some money. But like, it's just not that big of a market and it's super competitive. It's just not that great. So overall, pick stuff that's off the beaten path. And that's also, that also goes with the stuff of like, you know, getting with these narrow niches. It works better and you'll make more money if you pick something that you talk about to your mom and she doesn't know what it is. I think that's that's a good rule in general. So, And also, it's really worth it to spend a lot of time in niche research. So like, I'll be 100% honest. Like, I, We, quote unquote, outsource some of our niche research to our staff. And the first round of niche research, they came and Mark, just before we have the call with them, is like, oh, we're going to finalize the niches today. And I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> and little do you know that a lot of these niches were like very mainstream niches and we just said no to all of them and we send them back packing and, and do it again. And the thing is like an hour spent on niche research and making a better decision will save you 10 hours, 20 hours of grunt work, lean building, and just fixing your bad decisions later. So it's worth just sitting in front of, we use a Dynalist to pretty much do any kind of brainstorming. So it's worth spending a couple more hours hanging out on Dynalist, listing stuff out, rather than just making a bad decision, going quickly into building the site because it's exciting to install WordPress. And then just struggling for one, two years because you made a bad decision. I think... 
healthambition.com was definitely a good example of that. It's just like, I think we should have spent more time brainstorming a more narrow niche. This site has done well for us, mostly because we know SEO quite well. Um, but overall, like I think we could have done better by spending more time picking a better niche. All right, so the next point is build fewer pages, but rank all of them. That is another change that we're applying to the way we run our business. So we used to be the guys that like scaling stuff and building processes. So <laughs> the way it would go is like, we would be like, oh, we need to create like blog posts regularly for our website. And Mark is really good at building systems, sometimes a little bit too good to the point where he's like, you know what? We can like, I've built a system. Now we can write 60,000 words per week for our website. I need 300 keyword ideas per month or something like this. <laughs> like typical. And what would happen is, yeah, we were able to write these words, but keeping track of all of them, optimizing them, making sure they rank for the keywords, making sure they don't get outdated, etc was not something that we were ready for. We were ready to just produce content and mass publish it. And as a it's result... A, yeah, it's a typical case of scaling too fast. If you don't have an imperfect process, which you, you scale and you scale it well, you'll have a very big imperfect process. Surprise, surprise. So for us, where we, we were missed out on a lot of the optimization stuff and just really like a lack of, I think, focus. We were touching so many different areas with that site that it was kind of a bit all over the place, really. And the quality started to suffer a little bit. We still did a fairly decent job of it. I it was think, okay but... for that, I think, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, the problem is just... like the optimization was wrong. The, like there was a lot of like, we didn't figure out 100% of it. And then the problem is yeah. once you've done that, you've run that for six months. Well, you have 1,500 articles that are poorly optimized on your website, right? And good luck fixing that. It, it is complicated. So the approach we've, made, we've taken with the site that we have sold our selling is that we haven't been creating that much content past the first few rounds. Like we've done a few rounds, you know, we call them, call them rounds really. <laughs> um, <laughs> the naming committee was out in force that day. <laughs> and, and then after that, I mean, we were mostly creating link building content after that. So content for getting links, you know, link bait content, etc. But same thing, it wasn't that crazy the output of content but what what happened is we went back to his content and like tweaked it and just could keep much better track of it and just go back and re-optimize and make sure it keeps ranking for his keyword etc and as a result the growth was much faster and the cost was also much lower that rather than just like publishing all the time so really you know i think for a long time seos had that pressure of like oh you need to publish all the time otherwise your site is going to decay etc but last year uh, it's something that has changed a lot for most big names marketers. I mean, Neil Patel doesn't blog nearly as much. Brandin doesn't really publish very often, probably two, three times a year, etc. And they still do okay. So I think it's much better to have a pack of content that you control that is always up to date, that is the best it can, and just really has a shot at ranking for the keywords it's trying to rank rather than publishing stuff all the time. And that's one of the reasons we don't publish also that much on Atari Hacker these days. I spent a lot of time re-optimizing content lately and uh, it's paying off way more. And then eventually when you have bandwidth, then go back to creating more content, but do it in a controlled manner and don't just scale the shit out of it, you know? It's also for like a, a business thing, a business question really. So let's say you start a site, you have a hundred articles and 20 of them are ranking really well and the other 80 are not. You've probably chosen those first hundred keywords because they're valuable. You've hopefully thought it through and there's a lot of potential in those. But when you get to that hundred article, 
you have two choices, right? You can either go back and re-optimize the 80 that aren't ranking, or you can research another 100 keywords. Now, the second batch of 100 keywords, which you, you research, are likely not going to be as good, as relevant, or as targeted towards your core site, because most people tend to pick the, tend to identify the best keywords early on, or relatively early on. So it just makes so much more sense to go back. Like, it's, which would you rather have? A really good keyword ranking well or a okay keyword ranking well? Maybe. Then it, obviously it's going to be the, the, the really good keyword. So it just makes sense to go back and try and get more hits, try and optimize everything that's not working. Yeah. So for our new sites, we're probably just going to stop around that, around 100 pages. So it's still a fair few amount of pages, but... We're now going to try to pump them out super big. And once again, that goes back to narrowing niches down. You know, usually people would pick really broad niches because it had so many keywords. But if you kind of take this approach, you don't need that many keywords. You just need like 50 to 100 good keywords. And worst case, you just start another site or whatever. And one thing that we've definitely progressed a lot on is link building. Link building is really, really, really not an issue anymore. So that starting new domains is less of an issue as well. And we can just do more narrow sites and rank all of them. And just do many of them. So yeah, overall, this approach, build fewer sites, but rank all of them, make all of these pages great, etc. It's, it's a lot of work now for the sites we're still running to take this approach and, and just, just update all this content, etc. But we're seeing gains that are much faster than publishing new content, which is really nice and exciting, actually. I think in terms of like actionable steps here, if you already have a site and you feel you might be in that situation where you have a lot of stuff that doesn't rank, but you haven't really tried to fix it, the first step to get a handle on it is just to make it do an inventory of your content. And that's just a simple yeah. Google sheet, list everything out. What's the keyword it's targeting? What, how, what's its rankings? What's its traffic in the last 60 days? These kinds of metrics. And very quickly, you'll be able to see groupings that are doing well and groupings that are not doing well. And then you can decide how you want to tackle each of those accordingly. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump on to the next point, which is invest in media other than text. So same, I think we built these show notes really well because it's kind of flowing really well together. But if you're going to be building less pages on your website and overall you're just going to be saving money compared to like doing this mass scaling that we used to do, what you can do is you can invest more money into each page. And that's going to give you a much better shot at ranking. So what we've done a lot in 2018 is we've used illustrators to uh, build branded illustrations. So it's not, we didn't really do infographics. But we've done, when we were talking about a concept on the site or something like this, we, we had custom branded illustrations. So same color as the site, same same style across the whole site, etc. And it make the site look and feel so much cleaner, authoritative, trustworthy. And I'm pretty sure in 2019, we're going to spend a lot of time on YouTube. I would expect uh, YouTube to ramp up in February for Atari Hacker. So you might see some of that. But for the other sites, we'll probably do a bunch of YouTube as well. But what these illustrations, videos, and all these other things that you can invest in do is they increase your time on page as well. They will probably get you links. People will steal your images and then you can email them and ask for a link and so on. They will get you embeds, etc. And overall, these things also get you a bunch of social media activity, whether it's on YouTube, you can get activity on Pinterest with images, you can get all of that. And these things do bring results in SEO. I mean, like my fiance is basically running a site that's 100% based on Pinterest initially. And just from that, Pinterest activity. She's never done link building or anything like that. And the content is, is very average on the site. It's mostly based on images. The site is now ranking for crazy big keywords. So 
like looking at this case study here, I'm like, wow, this this is actually counting to do these things for actually for actual SEO. So doing more of this for our sites this year is probably going to be a big impact. And it's something that most quote unquote spammers don't do. So I I would say invest in these kind of things if if you have the ability to do it. Yeah, I'll also add to that that for the site we're selling slash sold, we had a lot of these on the info content articles and it really helped us when we're doing outreach for, for link building. The initial impression that potential link partner gets when they see these custom illustrations and diagrams and stuff like that on your content because remember, these people most likely don't have time to read your, your whole content. They just want to have a quick check and see if it's good or not so they can they can link to you or not. Then this really helped us in, in those cases. There were, so I actually did a little bit of analysis and there weren't actually that many people that were copying our, or reusing our, our images. There's a few people who were just reposting our blog posts. And because they did that, they, you know, these like scraper type sites that always do that. Because they did that, they also did it with the images. But I didn't actually see very many people steal yeah. them in a way. I mean, we would have been happy if people did because we could have asked for a link from it. You know, I think but, there's probably a form of outreach that can be done of like, hey, do you want to put our image on your site? Yeah, and then, work. Uh, and then they add a link. Like, we, we probably should try that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if you want to try that, go ahead. Do you want to say anything else about the investing in media? Yeah, so just if you're new, if you haven't had a successful site before, don't get too overwhelmed by thinking, oh, I need to do video. I need to do all these illustrations. I need to do podcasting or whatever else as well. Keep it simple to start with. Start with one thing, get that going, do it properly uh, and make it work. And then once it's kind of, once you kind of establish yourself, then build the next thing. If you're a more experienced site builder, then by all means, next time you start a site, go nuts with this stuff. The next one is going to be interesting. It's, it's kind of like the base of a rent I want to do on the YouTube channel when I get this going. It is copy what you see on page one of Google. And, uh, and it's funny because it feels like this is changing. So historically, people have been saying like, oh, you should really do like the best content you can and the best content is going to be rewarded. And Google is really smart at this stuff, etc. I'm calling bullshit on this right now. <laughs> what I'm seeing is that in 2018, Google has done a lot to kill diversity in search results. And usually when you Google a keyword and the first three results are like a list article, then pretty much everything is going to be a list article. So if you're trying to approach the query, not doing a list article, the chances are you're not going to rank. And we've tried many times, especially with Atari Hacker, we've tried, we've tried to take a different take on a query and try to answer it in a deeper way than what we saw on page one, which was usually pretty terrible. And every time we've done that, we've been punished. And then what I do is I go back to this page and I rewrite something that is much closer to what's ranking already, but doesn't feel nearly as deep. And Google's like, boom, ranking it really high all of a sudden. So Google's just rewarding you for doing what's already there. So if you're trying to rank for a product query with 12 results, 12 products being reviewed, then you should review 12 products on your page, etc. Every time we do that, it works. So uh, Google is not in pushing you to be smart lately. It might change in 2019, but at this point, they're not trying to do that. They just think they know better than you. And they'll just put the page that matches what they expect on top. I don't a hundred percent agree with that. So there's like there's a there's an element of kind of truthfulness, I think, which Google has to implement. So if you search for "is the world flat" on Google, 
what would be the ideal outcome for you? Do you want to see five results saying yes and five saying no? Do you want to say 10 saying yes and one saying no? I, I agree. I agree. But like the problem is they don't differentiate between things that can be debated and things that are facts, you know? Well, I mean, there are, it's a fine line. It's very often very difficult yeah, to, to de decide that. You know, if you want to take something more controversial, like are vaccines safe? Yeah, okay. You know, there are a huge amount of people who believe for whatever reason that it's it's not. Most scientists would say that, that it is, that they are. And Google would agree with those scientists because it displays, I think, 10 results. I um, just did a quick Google in the UK version, at least, saying that, like, you know, the CDC and the National Health Service in the UK, who all, of course, say, say yes. So Google has to be very careful when, first of all, when it's some health issue, because more and more when there's some issue going on or someone has a symptom, people are Googling this and they... If you, yeah. they're finding incorrect, inaccurate results, you know they can they can die. I just saw some article yesterday, I think it was, where someone had read some some kind of like hilarious potion recipe or something on I think it was Reddit or something, and then drank it and died. So That's you know this this kind of stuff can happen, and so Google has to be careful with it. Now, if we translate, if we move away from the kind of life or death situations to something more practical like what's the best office chair where there can be there's more subjectivity and personal views can kind of come into it i think and this is this is probably like way off but i think what's what's happening is there's some kind of attempt to understand what the best one actually is through understanding what the majority of people at scale are are, are saying and not entirely saying that is now the one and only truth, but taking account of that a little more than they used to. So I think that's why we're seeing less diversity in search. I think copying number one is, I wouldn't say do that specifically. I would say maybe like look at the structure of the articles which yeah. are ranking top. So if it's, I don't know, Weight loss tips is the search term. And then the, the top three results are, you know, 12 weight loss tips, nine weight loss tips, 11 weight loss tips, th these kind of things. Then you should probably write... 26 in our case, actually. Yeah. You won't believe number nine. In that case, you should probably write a list post as well. If you write a guide to lose weight, it's Google is likely, I believe, to think that you're not really addressing the intent or what people want from that keyword, even though the topical relevancy of, of weight loss in that case is, is similar. So I would say be inspired by the structure of those ranking for a keyword already. But where the danger lies is in just rewriting their articles. And it's not always bad because if you do that and you do it very, very, very well, then you have a good piece of content. There are, I don't know, in, in certain times, ethical things come up you know how much did you were you influenced or not i don't think there's any legal issue with rewriting someone else's content for the record however there's a real risk here with turning into just like a mediocre copycat and there's a lot of people out there who will just look at well-ranking sites and then say to a writer without much care hey go rewrite write this article make sure it's a thousand words or whatever 
it'll come back. They won't check it. They'll publish it. And it's, they've just kind of made a slightly or significantly in some cases worse version of what's already out there. And surprise, surprise, they get nowhere. So you really have to be careful that you don't kind of go in that direction. Yeah. But overall, also don't try to be too smart and emulate heavily what you see on Patreon. That would definitely be a recommendation if you want to do well on Google. I think we're going to close that debate. Otherwise, that can be a whole podcast. <laughs> I'll, probably make a, I'll probably make a YouTube video about it because I feel like this is something that needs to be talked about. But the next one kind of flows into this. So it's kind of interesting because if you basically look at what's happening, yeah, Google is reducing diversity in content page run, right? So standing out with your content is still possible with things like you know investing in media, doing videos, doing illustrations, doing all of this. There's still ways to stand out, but still... To an extent, there's less you can build a little bit less of an edge with content. Therefore, other things are going to start counting more to, for you to build an edge. And one of these things is probably, from what we're seeing as well, beginning to become technical SEO. So things like site speed, things like mobile experience, things like cleanliness of your code on your site, and so on. And just like all these things, like you know, site structure, and so on. All these things will really, really impact your rankings more. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be the main thing. Your main thing is still going to be content optimization and links. But the, the thing that comes right after is going to be that. And it's something that I spend a lot of time doing these days. It's like just um, using things like the Ahrefs site audit and a, a tool called Website Auditor as well, which is pretty good. And there's a free version you can download online, just Google Website Auditor. Checking issues in Webmasters Console, optimizing site speed. I've done. We've done quite a bit of work on Atari Hacker, experimenting stuff, uh, and it's done quite well. Uh, we've moved on like the Cloudflare Pro CDN and things like this, and it's been doing quite well. We've also been decluttering a lot of things. I think we'll talk about tech a little bit later, but we're quitting page builders to build blog posts. We're just using Gutenberg, which is quite good now, and it's much much cleaner code. We're cutting down content formatting even more. We're cutting down plugins we don't need. We are putting all our sites on high-quality hosting services. Everything has a CDN. Actually, now to, to that extent, as it's becoming more important, hosting services like WPX hosting are becoming more and more interesting because it's, like, it's a bit of an edge over something like SiteGround. It's a bit faster. It's a bit nicer. They have a built-in CDN and so on. It's a bit more expensive. On the first year, on the second year, it's about the same price. And, and yeah, like, so I'm probably going to start our new sites there and just yeah, apply all these very, very clean setups on our new sites this year because we have done some of these changes on some of our sites and we've seen a very positive both time on page but also ranking improvements, etc. And so becoming a bit of a tech SEO nerd is probably going to help and going to be more important than it was in 2018 and 2019. I just want to add to that. So... There was many years ago, there was a post by a guy called Glenn from website uh, viperchill.com about optimizing your site speed. Oh, see the end, yeah. uh, and when that post came out, everybody I knew started optimizing their site speed. And in many cases, it was a good idea. We could have done a good job of that a year ago on Authority Hacker for sure, because our site speed was pretty bad. However, there were also many people doing that who had a brand new site with seven posts up thinking, oh, yeah. oh I need to I need to, to improve my site speed. That's why I'm not ranking. So I think it's super important to to do it. It's you just need to have your kind of order of priority straight. Content and links still come first. 
if you can, obviously do these things correctly while you're building your site. But if you're brand new and you only have a few links and a few blog posts up, don't go start optimizing your site speed. Focus on building more content, building more links, because that's going to move the needle further for you quickly. Yeah, but it's going to be, I think it's still going to be important. Though. The next tip is, it's tip number seven, is build content hubs. So it's like something that has worked really well with the site we're selling. It's that we have focused on just a few hubs, a few categories, but really we've just gone deep in it and then just done every keyword that was, you know, we had a shout out ranking for that was related to this category and we've done pretty good internal linking, etc. And these hubs are, I think a major reason for that success. And I'm seeing it on other sites as well. I think you can see it on Atari Hacker as well if you want to check. Like I cannot really share the other ones, but I can show Atari Hacker. So we have several pages on uh, niche research. So if you type things like real estate, affiliate, and things like that, we have these kind of like support content pages with a bit of market research for several niches. You can find these. And uh, these are supporting the whole affiliate marketing hub. And the affiliate marketing hub, because it has all these supporting content and has been dug in a little bit deeper is probably one of the those that does the best on Atari Hacker. And so overall, just building hubs of similar content that is very tight together and hitting all the different related keywords together and interlinking them seems to work better than just having one or two pages on the topic and then jumping on something else. So yeah, you want to blog in grapes, basically. I, I, I think there's a qualitative positive effect when you do this as well. I noticed with that site, which we're selling slash sold, that the writer was kind of a, a, an expert in the general area, but not this specific area we, we focused our first kind of hub on. And as we went through that, just by writing about that every day for, well, a year and a half in, in this case, it really, the, like, the top content became a lot better. The topic knowledge became a lot better. And you just get really kind of on point with every little thing going on in the industry. And you can create just much, much better content. Opposite example of that is with Health Ambition. We had one writer who was very, very good and a personal trainer and kind of generally super knowledgeable about health. However, we were asking her to write you know, on Monday, a couple of articles about multivitamins and omega-3 on Tuesday to review the best treadmills on Wednesday to talk about the best, I don't know, I can't even remember some of the other stuff we're talking about, hand grip exercises on Thursday to talk about doing yoga and on Friday to talk about how to stop farting, basically. So though it was all health, we didn't really go deep into any of those topics to the same extent um, that we've really done with with this other site. So I, I think that's that's worth bearing in mind as well. Yeah. Do you want to do the next topic? Yeah. So on-page optimization is a must. We neglected this for so long just because, well, I don't really know why. I think because our, our content plus links formula just worked so well for, for so long. But as the market's matured more, as competition has come in, which also starts doing content well and building a decent amount of links as well. That on its own was sort of stopped becoming enough to rank really. I mean, obviously you can still do it in some niches, but in general, the formula used to be content and links. Now it's optimized content and links. So you you can buy a lot of SEO courses out there, which will say, which will kind of pay lip service to, to on page. And it's, says, okay, install Yoast SEO and make sure all the boxes are green, basically. 
but that's not really SEO. What what's the plugin? I forget that we use now. Is it SEO Press? Yeah, we use SEO Press. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's cheap as well. Uh, you the free version doing as as much as yours, if not more. And the paid one is like thirty nine dollars for unlimited size per year or something. So it's it's not very expensive. So SEO is isn't just ticking these boxes. That's a start for sure. But it's just a lot of very small optimizations that that really really do add up. One thing which is probably one of the most important areas here, I think, is is around like keyword density and sort of related like yeah. TFIDF, something which we neglected for a long time. You can definitely over-optimize keywords unwillingly or unknowingly. So there were times when we were writing an article and our keyword density for the, the main keyword was just a lot higher than it should have been. And that can actually count against you in some cases. So we've been experimenting with tools. ClearScope, ClearScape, I always forget how to pronounce it. ClearScope. ClearScope last year. And what's the TFIDF one you're you're doing? Website Auditor. That's the same one I mentioned, actually. Uh, I've also been playing with uh, Page Optimize Pro. Yeah, we had a little play around with a tool called Cora as well, which does like really advanced uh, on-page optimization, though it's a little difficult to draw actionable conclusions for what you should Cora is very overwhelming. It's very good. It's the best data, but it's super overwhelming. It's very hard. Like If there's like one page you really care about, it's kind of useful. Doing that on every page on your site, it's quite unrealistic. Yeah, you need to sort of develop a framework to interpret the data and tell people what to do. Uh, otherwise, you just need to be yeah. really smart when you're like, you have a really, really smart person with lots of experience using it. But, but these tools, Cora and Page Optimizer Pro, they work on correlation analysis. So they look at the top sites, what they're ranking, the top sites for a keyword, and they analyze lots of different kind of metrics. Uh, I think Cora has like 100 and something different things it can analyze. And that's like, Simple things like word count, number of images, but also gets more advanced, like some of the technical aspects of page load speed or size. I can't even remember which one. And like H, the number of H2, H3, H4 type content in your in your structure. So it, it was basically, it's not saying that, hey, if you do this, you're going to rank, but it's saying that, hey, here are the things that the pages in common that rank do. Maybe you should think about doing those and it's you're never going to know exactly which ones are, are are doing it but if you try your best to do as many of these things as possible then it's going to help like lots of small optimizations lots of small optimizations really do add up basically yeah i mean it's really following this advertise that like do what's on page one because that's exactly what these tools do right yep. describe the top 10 results and then just like these the, the top results do this try to emulate them and it does work to a large extent because of the low diversity Google is putting there's, in their search. There's also some kind of like older kind of established rules that, you know, maybe we stopped paying attention to, forgot about like above the fold. So that means like how high up your content is on your page. Do you have to scroll down through a bunch of stuff to, to get there? Can affect rankings in a small way. I think when we switched the authority hacker, the new design in uh, towards the end of last year, uh, review pages which started higher up started ranking much better yeah. and the info content ones which didn't went the other way something like that yeah and then i removed the featured images and now it's like it's doing better so yeah yeah it's just like page layout is also quite important uh and i think we'll talk about that in the tech stack actually yeah i'll also let you take the next point yeah so this is a really important one it always has been a really important one 
to stay above board with link building. Now, since 2013, 12, 13, we've been exclusively white hat with our approach to link building, which basically means we try and work within Google's terms of service, do what Google wants. The other ways of doing it are gray hat, black hat. Gray hat's using things like PBNs and buying links and and, and stuff like that. Black hat's more like yeah. seriously dodgy stuff, uh, which you, unless you... I mean, gray hat is like breaking Google's rules and black hat is breaking the law, you know, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, so our approach, our approach with that, it works. It's, it can kind of get a little bit, it works, but you need to also bear in mind that just because you're using a white hat or what you think is a white hat technique doesn't mean that you can't also build lower quality links. So guest posting, a good example of this. If you just try and get a guest post on any single, every single site that will take your content, then you're going to get a lot of responses from really crappy sites. Some of them may even be PPNs themselves. And they're getting content, but you're you're getting a link from them. So you do have to be a little bit careful with that. I, I think we've maybe dropped the ball a little bit in terms of our quality um, vetting, I would say. Don't get me wrong, like a lot of our links are still really, really good, but there are definitely a few like subpar ones that were we doing the, that link building in 2019, we probably wouldn't have attempted to, to get a link from these sites. So I would just say the the kind of takeaway from this really is that with white hat link building, just because it's white hat doesn't mean you shouldn't also look at the quality and, and vet vet the the standards of the site you're you link from. Look at the site, does it get traffic? Where else is it linking to? What does it look like a PBN? Like do this kind of basic analysis before you before you try and get a link. Yeah. And I would say probably the approach, like we're we're good at building like large amounts of links. But I would say that there is a, a diminishing return. And, and I think this year when we do link building, it's like we're not necessarily going to focus on quantity rather than quality, like fewer high quality links. I think have the same effect, but keep your link profile much cleaner as well. So it's, there's no point in not increasing your standards when you get better at link building rather than increasing quantities. That's that's kind of my approach now. Yeah, with with health um, with health ambition, we built thousands of, of links using skyscraper link building. And it was it was really good at the start. It like helped us grow really a lot. But after we got past a thousand or so, there was there's definitely diminishing returns. Now, whether that was purely down to some way of anal- Google was analyzing the type of link building, or whether it was just because we got to a, a certain high stage and the gap between us and the next site up there started to get bigger and bigger and bigger, I'm not 100 percent sure. What I do know is that for new sites, we're starting now. The approach is to mix in skyscraper link building and guest posting. Skyscraper more towards the start and then sort of transition more towards just super, super high quality guest posting a little bit later on. Yeah. I mean, I was talking with like, I was talking with people that own really big affiliate sites. I can't really name their sites. It's very well known. And they kind of have the same approach. They're basically, we kind of came up with that rule that basically links below your own DR just don't have much effect on your rankings. And that as your site grows, you need to just up your game in terms of link building. And now these guys, they're literally like hiring PR agencies and doing like very, very high level stuff because almost like only the super high DR domains linking to them really have an effect on their, 
on their links. So it's it just yeah something that makes sense. And it's also a good argument for narrowing down your niches. Because if you narrow down your niches, it means that you need less links to rank for your keywords usually because your site is more precisely targeted to a niche. And as a result, you don't need to necessarily get to this point where you need to like hire PR agencies to rank for stuff because you don't need that many linking with domains to do well in your niche. And maybe there's an argument that it would make more sense to have several sites, smaller sites versus one big site in this case, you know? Yep. So it's 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 an interesting approach and it's kind of like, it's not a correct rule. I don't think like links below your own DRs don't count, but it just gives you a good framework of how to think about it. So let's talk about the number 10, uh, which is keep your tech stack simple. So we mentioned earlier that technical SEO is going to become important and bloated tools will mess up your site tech. So we are very guilty of this. We used to have a complicated thing when we build websites. And also there just wasn't many very good tools to build websites when you're not a developer available. And what we've known is that when you overcomplicate things, managing sites becomes more and more difficult. The good news is WordPress just updated to WordPress 5.0 and now Gutenberg is the default editor and it's much better than the default editor used to be so that you don't even need page builders anymore to build your, your posts. So you can really rely on very, very simple, basic WordPress code to build your most of your pages on your site and that will be enough and that will declutter a lot of the code. And we, we have been and might be still moving stuff to the default WordPress editor now because of that. Fancy themes also are not important. So usually focusing on the most simple WordPress themes, the fastest is a good idea. We use uh, Astra, uh, general price is good as well. And we've done a podcast on this actually. So if you want more on this one point, we actually have done that. First, go check out that podcast. I think it was like number 126. But basically WordPress themes used to be, there was like, you go to a site like Theme Forest and you would pick a theme that was what your site wanted to be look like. And then you would just sort of customize it a bit. That's all kind of turning on its head now. And the question of which theme should you use, it's just not really much of an issue anymore. The, the truth is you can almost use anyone that's that's kind of built built well and just kind of customize it to to be how you want using tools like Elementor and you know the Gutenberg editor uh, built into to WordPress for your content now as well. Yeah, so keep it simple. Uh, that's what we use with WordPress, Astra, Elementor. And I think the AutoSite system site has like eight plugins on it or seven, like really less than 10. And all the sites we built this year, they will be the same, actually. We'll put a minimal amount of plugins. We'll keep things as lean as possible so that they're like, the tech SEO is super clean. It's very easy to manage. It doesn't have, and we'll make it fancy by one, building a nice looking theme and building a strong brand with recognizable colors, et cetera. And two, investing in media, like we mentioned. So like YouTube videos and custom illustrations and all of that. And that's going to make the site look slick enough. And we don't have to make it complicated with like a shit ton of plugin. And I think that makes it much better. All right, I'll give you the last point. <laughs> so point 11 in the topic of how to succeed with authority sites in 2019 is to first of all start now so this is there's not not a coincidence that we're putting this out at the start of january when many people will have had a nice christmas break and now thinking oh it's time and they hang over yeah yeah (laughs) it's time to actually number one stop drinking which i can highly recommend and number two to start an authority site to quit my job this year to go travel to to change my life in some way or another 
so th- I just want to say that we talk a lot about that kind of money lifestyle side of things. Just remember, it's not a get rich quick scheme. And if someone kind of advertises a program with, you know, where you can quit your job next week or, or, or something, it's probably not true. They're probably misselling you on it. Authority sites are a business like any other kind of business model which you see out there in your daily life that, that actually work. There are hundreds, thousands of people that I know, I think now that, that run these sites. We have thousands certainly um, in our members' Facebook group, so I can attest to that. It's a proven business model, but businesses, all businesses, take time and dedication to build up. Um, first of all, it's it's really, really worthwhile. So I'm recording this. The So in two hours time, I'm going on vacation. And ordinarily, it would be like, I remember back when I had a, an office job, it was like, well, the day you're going on vacation, you, you just can't wait to get out of the office. But for me, it's like, oh, there's so much more I want to do before 12 o'clock, before my taxi. And that's, I think, something which is hugely important to me and to a lot of people that you're doing something which is fun and enjoyable and you, you're kind of proud of what you're, you're doing as well. It also has allowed us to have just an infinite amount of freedom, which we, we never had before. So again, I'm going traveling to New Zealand for three and a half weeks now and I'll, I'll bring my laptop. I'll do a tiny little bit of work, but for the most part, I'm going to be on vacation and I can, I didn't have to, well, I sort of cleared it with Gail, but I didn't have to. Uh, I, You're on vacation because I'm doing everything. <laughs> I didn't have to, you know, use my 15 days of work vacation a year to do this. I can, I can kind of be my own boss to an extent. So that, that's, that's really important. You know, we, we've been traveling a little bit out. Gail was out in uh, Southeast Asia for, for five weeks this year on the conference circuit meeting a lot of other people, a lot of other authority site owners, a lot of you guys. I also went out to conference for a couple of weeks. You know, it's really fun to to live this lifestyle, to, to do this every day. And it also pays quite nicely if you put a lot of time into it. Remember, we've, we've been doing this for, we've been doing online marketing for nine, going on 10 years each now. No, don't say that. I feel old now. No. <laughs> you are old. Uh, and uh, it was Gail's birthday yesterday, FYI. And so it's it, it wasn't always good. We've been, been through many ups and many, many downs. But now we're we're starting to get pretty good at it, I think. And it's nice. It's We're like very comfortable financially. We're, we're definitely not rich by any means. I hope one day we will be. It's a good way to to make a living, basically. With authority sites... I also want to say that I mentioned this earlier in the show as well, that there can be a very long feedback loop. So when you have a job, you work a week and then you work a day, you, you get paid at the end of the week, or maybe you get paid at the end of the month. So there's a very quick kind of feedback loop and you feel good when you get your salary check and you you get the money for the, the work you've done. That's like a, a nice kind of end to the loop. With an authority site and with any business really, but especially with a, a new website that brand new Google hasn't seen before, that time from initial work to payback can be very long, 6, 12 months in many cases, even longer sometimes. So you have to approach that with the right kind of psychological attitude that you are going to get there and you're not going to give up and you're not going to 
jump at the next shiny object syndrome and become a cryptocurrency investor or whatever the flavor of the of the month is sounds like a good time yeah to yeah i don't even know what the crypto equivalent of everything just crashed again gonna so. Be. <laughs> so the biggest reason why people fail is that they never start so you should start the biggest reason why people who do start fail is that they give up too quickly so to mitigate that don't give up too quickly and that's basically all i have to say about that that is a really good transition into the cell we're running right now. I feel so cheesy saying that. But guys, we're basically, for the people that want to take action, we actually are discounting the authority site system, which is our course on starting the authority site. So yeah, there was a bit of an agenda before this behind this episode. The cell is going until January 8th, midnight, New York. So uh, it's just for the first week of January. For the, like, It has had really good ratings since we released a new version. I'm really happy with that. We spent like four months of our yeah, last year we're recording this course. I chose you as building a brand new site from A to Z, applying a lot of the stuff we talked about in a more practical way. You see our screen, you see everything. So if you want to check it out, atoyhacker.com slash system, you will find the sale going on until January 8th. Mark said the best time to start was probably five, six years ago. It was much easier. But the second best time is actually now. What I want to say is we're putting our own money on starting new sites this year as well. So we definitely believe in this model very much. And we're like, we are about, or we have sold a mid-six-figure site recently. So like, you know, the bank account is stopped up and everything is done quite well for us. We will post more about that site we've sold on the blog really soon. I am actually writing the blog post probably during the Christmas break. I've already written quite a bit of it. I think I have like nine pages on Google Doc talking about some of the exact tactics we've used and maybe developing more on some stuff that we've talked about in this episode. So watch out for the blog post. It's going to come in your email if you're on the email list. If you're not on the email list, go, to, go on the homepage, sign up for the training, and you'll be on our email list. And I want to thank you for listening to us. Another year of podcast is coming up. If you haven't yet, please subscribe in, on whichever platform you're using, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, whatever you want. And if you have appreciated this episode, if you appreciate that we're being open with what we do and try to really just tell you things how they are, please rate us. That really helps us get the podcast in front of people. We'll be back next week. And Mark has done an interview with Matt Singers, who is a management consultant, and talk about recruiting people, management, building a team, etc. But in the context of building an authority site, what's cool with Matt's is he is actually a big SEO guy as well. So he talks about this in a context that makes sense for people doing what we do. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.